Welcome to About the Winelands. In this show, we will be chatting to leaders, influencers, wine producers, restaurants, and other role players. Tune in every week for our latest episode. You will find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram TV, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. Welcome back to About the Winelands. Today I'm talking to Peter Ferreira. Peter Fer is the cellar master at Graham Beck. Um, welcome to About the Winelands, Peter. Thank you very much for the opportunity and looking forward to your questions. No, we have to thank you for, for taking um, time out of your busy day to talk to us. And um, I'm sure our, our listeners will find this very, very interesting. Um, if I can start off, Peter, if you can just tell us a little bit um, about yourself and how did you get involved in the wine industry? Uh, I always jokingly say I fell into a wine tank and, uh, you know, after some years I'm still swimming. So, uh, but uh, I did uh, study agriculture in Pretoria mm -hmm. and uh, I'm actually more like a chemist. I did microbiology and various other things. Um, but then one day I just got a beautiful opportunity and my first winemaking career, I started with Achim von Arnhem in Franschhoek. And so uh, I've been very fortunate that uh, the timing was just right. And um, I took it on and I was under his mentorship and uh, I spent seven magical years with Achim in Franschhoek. And then I joined the, the Beck family in 1990 um, when I moved to Robertson. Oh, so you've been, you've been there for a while. Yeah, it's my 30th. I've just completed my 30th harvest at Graham Beck. So uh, obviously winemakers always speak about the vintages or the number of vintages uh, that you've done. And uh, yeah, it's been an amazing journey. Um, and uh, I think we've sort of... Uh, We've sort of uh, done a full circle on the original vision of Graham Beck. You know, he, he hired me in those days to be the better example of Cap Classique out of South Africa that we can take into the international uh, markets. So this is quite interesting. I mean, um, and like, you know, 30 years is, is what a milestone. I think when, you, when you're a young winemaker and you look, you, you know, you... I think you project forward, right? Because like you say, it's a winemaking is, is, is almost become the years. It, it's really true. You know, 30 years is quite young as a brand, you know. So mm -hmm. uh, I keep reminding the youngsters that uh, there's a lot of school fees that goes along with it. But yeah, it's been fantastic. You know, uh, the original vision was to be a cup classic producer. And then we tried to be everything to everyone. We made some stall wines due to the fact that we also had a second winery in Franschhoek, the Grand Beck Winery, which was mainly stall wines. Mm -hmm. But then fortunately, six years ago, we did a bit of soul searching and uh, we realized when we asked the consumer, what, do you, what is Grand Beck? They all came, said it's bubbles. So, uh, yeah, welcome to Bubble Land. Well, it's so it's such a pity because I remember that Graham Beck Shiraz you used to make was fantastic. Yeah, well, you know, we've been very fortunate. I think the dedication to uh, the specific products were fantastic. Uh, you know, the 
the the the the rich sira was definitely you know it got international recognition mm. and things like that. but you know at the end of the day uh, you know you have to really concentrate on things you can do best and uh, you know my nickname is bubbles so uh, you know that's where it is well i think focus in business is 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 really important and peter if you can tell me i mean i think you know can you can you give us a little bit of a background on and the old Grambeck story and the estate and, and the history, I think it's very interesting. Yeah, I'll do it with pleasure. Um, you know, uh, Grambeck was actually a coal miner by trade. So, uh, you know, he ventured into the breeding of thoroughbred horses. Mm -hmm. He be became one of South Africa's uh, leading uh, thoroughbred breeders uh, in South Africa and he's even taken that to the US and they amongst the top five of thoroughbred breeders in the, U, in the, the US. And um, I don't know if you can recall the Lanesburg flood in 1981. Um, I actually recall that very well. Which, which sadly ran, ran through Robertson as well, you know, um, because the catchment area of uh, the mountains, you know, we're virtually just on the other side of the, the Langeberg Mountains from Lanesburg. So a lot of waters flooded the area and Grainbeck having his horses in the area was, uh, was um, sort of talked into buying the farm Mediba. Um, and uh, he said, well, once he had the farm, he said, well, let's, let's, grow some grapes and uh, that's how it all started. So the farm was bought by Graham Beck in 1983. In 85 to 87, he actually brought some of his mining equipment down to remove soil where they needed to have soils and then started the replanting schedule. And um, the idea of building a cellar um, came about in 1990. And obviously that's when I joined him and uh, yeah, today, um, it, I wouldn't say it's history, you know, it's history and the making because it, it takes much longer than 30 years, but uh, we, we have sort of walked the full circle, as I mentioned before, and um, that is what we have. So today we only do sparkling wine uh, or by Cap Classique, and we have eight um, wines in our portfolio. Well, let me tell you what you certainly managed to establish your brand in a like you say 30 years is a short space of time but it, it has made an impact yeah i i think we we really dedicated you know uh i, I learned so many things from graham beck uh you know through the years uh, while he was still uh, with us um, and, you know, uh, it, it sounds a bit like a cliche thing, but he says you can only be as good as the people you employ. And uh, it it's really rubs down right down to sort of the cellar floor, people in the vineyards and things like that. So, um, you know, we, we, you know, it's, it's such a great uh, mantra that he established for us. And uh, obviously, with that comes the loyalty and the dedication to, to the, the work we have, you know, got to do. So um, you're talking about the estate, um, um, which is quite interesting. Can you tell us a little bit more about the estate? And um, do you um, welcome visitors? And, um, you know, what can people experience yes. coming there? 
Fantastic, yes. Uh, well, today, uh, Madiba Farm is uh, 4,200 hectares uh, big. So it, wow. it's quite large. But um, being in the Robertson area, obviously, we, you know, we can only grow grapes by irrigation. So water is our lifeline to farming activity. And um, we, we proud ourselves as well that for every one hectare we, we, we farm, we actually preserve five hectares. Um, you know, and that's given us a champion status in the biodiversity initiative. And uh, so it's really magic. Today we have, uh, once we have done our full plantings again, we will be at around 140 to 150 hectares planted and the rest is preserved. And we actually have a natural, or we have a um, nature conservationist, Mossi Basson, who looks after the, the program of uh, sustainability and uh, you know, the preservation of uh, the Feinbos in our area. And then we have a beautiful visitor center uh, at Grainbeck, which is open to visitors seven days a week. Uh, obviously during lockdown, it was quite crazy. It was lonely, it was like a ghost, ghost seller really. Um, but now that we can trade again, uh, we are open to visitors seven days a week. Amazing, so your, um, the old the winery in France, Hook, is that, does that still exist? And, and what happens there? Well, um, it goes also back into the history. Um, Graham Beck actually, um, he sort of bailed out Jan Picard. Now, most of you won't, but Jan Picard was the owner of Union Wine and they had the distribution arm called uh, Douglas Green. That's right. And Grainbeck then bought a Union Wine and within, within the Union Wine uh, makeup, there was the historic farm Bellingham. So he acquired Bellingham Farm in the deal and then he bought, you know, we, we built it up to the magnitude. We had Charles Hopkins, which was a Bellingham winemaker then that joined the Grainbeck family. And then we built it up, uh, you know, until uh, Charles went to the Grendel. So uh, the, the winery still stands, uh, but it was, you can imagine one owner having two uh, wineries in different locations. Mm just a double up in, uh, you know, expenses towards the bottom line uh, because everything came out of one pocket, that yeah. type of thing. And, uh, we then started to say, well, let's consolidate. So um, the, form was, uh, the farm, Bellingham farm, was bought by Johan Rupert, who had Lomara, which was the neighbor. Okay, excellent. So... Um your uh, journey with MCC, uh, when uh, that started right away when um, he purchased the Madiba farm, right? And then your first harvest was already an MCC harvest. Do I understand this correctly? Yeah, that's that's correct. But keep in mind, you know, I uh, I joined the first specialist producer of uh, of Kapta Sik in South Africa. Achim was the first guy. He was then employed by Boschendal, who was owned by Anglo American, mm -hmm. uh, and um, he uh, he was the first specialist producer. Because you know, Pierre Jordan was only and solely Kapta Sik. So mm. from nine. 
1984 when I joined Achim. I had seven years of experience eat, sleeping, and drinking just bubbly. So um, I think with the original vision of Graham Beck, uh, you know, I was the, the sort of favorite choice at that point. And um, yeah, we've built it up there. So bubbles have consumed my life, if I can sort of explain it that way. And uh, during these times, I've also worked in Champagne for various harvests. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, yeah, it's a fascinating product, right? And it's always grabbed the imagination, not the least being the champagne guys being very good in their marketing and creating all kinds of legends that aren't true and stories. But we'll talk about that a bit later. Tell us a bit about the MCCs you're making, the, the, the Cap Classics you are making at the moment. So uh, from day one, uh, we, we, we tried to understand very quickly in the early years, uh, you know, what Robertson can give uh, as a Cap Classique. And we realized with the sufficient amount of sunshine, you know, in those days, if we go back 30 years ago, Robertson was considered a warm area. And thank goodness, the word of global warming has touched so many more people. They're starting to understand that it's warm all around the world these days. Mm. Um, we realized that we wanted to uh, develop a wine style or a cap classique style, uh, like an aperitif. So you always uh, enjoy the first glass, which cleans and stimulates the taste buds, and then obviously prepares you for what will follow. So the philosophy of Graham Beck is really sort of um, designed on a typical uh, Grand Marc out of Champagne. By that, I mean we have a non-vintage, which is the signature of Beck, uh, uh, which we can do consistently year in, year out, because we have built up a perpetual reserve that we can use to obviously keep the golden thread running in year in, year out. So um, we have a non-vintage range, and in there we have four wines. We have um, a white brute blend, a rosé blend, and then we also have two bliss nectars. Nectars is just the indication of using a little bit more sugar in the dosage um, for not for various reasons, but for specific markets like the main market we have in uh, Gauteng. After that, uh, in the next year, we have three vintage wines, uh, which is the expression of the best Chardonnay under a Blanc de Blanc label, the best Pinot Noir portions as a vintage rosé, and we have introduced a wine with no added sugar, at Discouchement called Brut Zero. So those are the three uh, vintage wines. And then above that, we have our prestige uh, Cuvée. Some people say, well, it's the icon, which is Cuvée Clive. Oh, that's interesting. Peter, I'm fascinated with um, the whole story of, of how these um, wines are made non-vintage. And I have to ask you, do you like the people in Champagne, the cellar masters, they also carry a key around your neck so that people can't get into your, your old barrels? <laughs> no, we have no secrets. You know what? We, we love to, to share. Um, you know, I, I, I used to walk around with a key, um, but, uh, you know, uh, I, our 
you know, obviously at my age where I am now, I have a succession plan mm -hmm. and I have a fantastic guy called Pierre de Clerc, uh, who's been with me for 10 harvests. As I did mention earlier, we work in harvests as winemakers. So Pierre's been with Graham Beck for 10 years. And yeah, he's going to be, uh, you know, he's mini bubbles now, but he will be the bubbles, uh, you know, at the time when I uh, can put my feet in the sea sand. So what really interests me is um, your marketing and how you're selling um, and building your, where are most of your sales happening? And, um, you know, what, what is your footprint? Yeah, our, our footprint is 55% um, uh, leaves uh, South African shores to 40 wow. countries. Um, with, uh, with obviously two major markets, if one can talk of, you know, obviously volume in the export market. Uh, UK is currently our number one uh, export market, uh, followed by America. And then uh, sort of the rest of Europe, if you calculate Germany and the Benelux countries together. And then we have an emerging market uh, in Japan. And then obviously the 40, just below 50%, then obviously it's local sales. We believe we are South African brand enough that we've grown our volumes that we can uh, you know, uh, spread the love between local and export markets. Oh, so that's very interesting. So, so you've been quite successful in, in exports. It must have been um, quite a quite a hard um, um, nut to crack because you've got all this competition not only from champagne but also from you know prosecco and um, the, and also the Spanish. Um, you know, um, and I have the advantage of of being close to the market in Europe. So it must have been quite a a tough nut to crack to get South African bubbly really um, established as a brand. It, it, it's still a lonely journey. Um, I can really tell you that uh, of, of, of total couple of Sikhs that leaves the South African shores, uh, Grainbeck is just under 50%. So we yeah. have very little, we have very little uh, other producers that can support the category of couple of Sikh in the international market. I'm sure over time it will, it will change. Um, you know, uh, but um, it's a lonely, it's a lonely journey, and it's a tough nut to crack. Uh, you know, you immediately either, uh, you know, you either up against Cava, as you mentioned, or Francia Corta, or uh, you know, less expensive champagnes. And um, but I do believe, um, you know, as. For all of us, I think champagne is the go-to. You know, everybody has champagne as a reference. Mm. But uh, I can assure you um, in the international market, if you go out there and you say, if you're not wanting to drink champagne today, Cup Classic will be the better choice uh, due to the sort of price and quality price point ratio that Cup Classic has uh, in the international markets. You know, we, we have definitely like a little void or a little box that a lot of more expensive wines can't be in there and the less expensive don't have the quality to play in that market. So, uh, is, but is it is one, a lonely journey. Yeah. Is that, a, is that one of the advantages of actually producing in South Africa that puts you in that price point? 
Well, I still think it's it's uh, very reasonable. Um, mm-hmm. But keep in mind, you know, uh, all all the things uh, used um, or mainly used is has to be imported, and you know, we That's don't get true. any. We we you know we we don't get any um, support from our government, uh, you know, and um, it's uh, it it is. It was probably a little bit less expensive to produce. Um, um, when you get to a level where Grainbeck is, I think uh, you know, um, sort of volume does 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 make it easier. Yeah. But yeah, it's it is still uh, it's still um, I think it's still very affordable uh, in the international market. Even locally, I think it's still the most underrated uh, value point in the wine business. Oh, that's uh, very interesting. And I think, you know, um, um, it's great that you guys are, are pushing that. Um, so you're having um, uh, the, the CAPCA 6 um, uh, organization is having this CAPCA 6 day on the 1st of um, September. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast is to, is to get a bit more um, uh, exposure for this. Is um, Are you guys planning anything special for the day, a celebration or anything like that? Well, we're planning to open Magnums because it's going to be a hell of a celebration. There um, you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I think uh, I think there's been, uh, you know, I think the countdown has started. You know, we also recently only as an association, we've got sort of our house in order. Mm-hmm. We have a fantastic lady, Caroline van Skalpveik, who is uh, now running our uh, um, sort of not administration, but more the sort of... Uh, uh, promotional and generic drives for the association and uh, you know so the countdown has started and I think we're going to build on on this uh, I think it's going to be even bigger next year as Cup Classic will be 50 years old next year with the first wine that was made by Franz Milan of Simonsach. Yeah. So, well uh, obviously I think we will uh, for our customers in, 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 in uh, visiting Robertson we will definitely uh, entertain them with some special uh, magnums or uh, something really interesting out of our uh, Vernotech as a celebration for Cup Classic Day. So should people take the drive out to Robertson on the first? Yeah, we'll even stamp their passports for them. <laughs> there you go. So, Peter, we're talking about magnums. I mean, in Europe, um, in the last few years, magnums has become like a like a fashion. It's almost like you take a magnum to a party and and things like that. Is, do you think that's something that will um, start to spill over to South Africa? More magnum sizes. Yeah, it's again, unfortunately, you know, um, it, it's it's. You know, people, the consumer, um, the consumer is turning their pennies around. You know, and invariably, invariably, when they look at a magnum, they want to divide uh, their favorite bubbly by half and say, "Well, you know, that's two bottles will cost me that." But mm-hmm. you know, just just a magnum uh, cup classic or champagne bottle is so much more expensive. So. Uh, it's unfortunately not a direct uh, double deal, but uh, the pleasure you get out of a magnum is twice of that from more than twice than having a single bottle. The volume, the volume of uh, a magnum 
uh, is double that of uh, the, the single bottle or standard bottle, but the, the air space is exactly the same. So uh, you have so much more freshness and so much more finesse in a Magnum. And uh, it's definitely starting to uh, become more obvious because um, it's a great way to celebrate this with a Magnum. Well, champagnes are made to be drunk, right? So if you if you um, want to keep something, it, I suppose, like you're just saying, it's advisable to keep a Magnum because it will stay fresher for longer. Yeah, it depends how thirsty you are. You know, that's the other thing. <laughs> <laughs> you have you have to keep in mind. Maybe you'll have to have two Magnums. You know, I, I'm not sure. I totally agree with that. Um, Peter, you know, this whole coronavirus you mentioned that a little bit has really turned everything on its head in terms of business models and stuff like that and everyone had to either rethink um have you guys got any new ideas and plans or anything in mind regarding that well i guess uh, you know uh, it was really tough to look into the crystal ball because you know the sort of goalpost even in during COVID has changed from our government but that put aside uh, i think we have done a bit of soul searching we are trying to to work smarter. Um, uh, yeah, a few things, but uh, we can be thankful uh, from a Grainbeck point of view that we are so well established in the export markets because we could still trade during lockdown. Um, but yeah, it's tough. We, you know, we had to do a few sacrifices. The whole whole wine industry has been turned upside down. So. Uh, I think you have to focus on, again, trying to do what you can do best. And, uh, you know, um, I'm sure it's going to improve, but it has had a dramatic influence. Well, um, I mean, the, the, the talk of the day or the, 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 the thing of the day is called a direct-to-consumer where everybody's trying to push their online sales. Is this something that you guys are looking at as well? Yes, we have. We've had very good uh, direct-to-consumer uh, programs. Um, obviously, we're also fortunate that we do have uh, what we call the Grainbeck Society. It's our wine club. And, um, you know, we've, we've had various uh, Zoom tastinage with uh, our sort of top customers and uh, keeping the correspondence open. But yes, we've had some successful uh, deals uh, through through lockdown, um, and uh, it's definitely helped to, you know, keep crime back in the mind of the consumer. I think that's the important thing, right? Is you have to keep your brand out there while things are not um, going well. Um, so uh, the other thing that changes, obviously, if you're selling direct to, to customers, is that you now immediate you you know if you're selling in restaurants or in the retail space, you don't really know who's drinking your stuff. But with this, you know exactly who's buying, and you know um, it's delivered to their door. So you build up a database of, of buyers, and and like you say, with your wine society, you obviously have or your your Grandbeck society, you obviously have that as well. But um, what I want to ask you is, is the importance of actually then, if you're doing that, communicating with those clients, how do you guys manage that to actually talk to the people that are drinking your wine or your, your bubbly? 
Well, we, we, we have a lady called Lucinda who runs our uh, society program. And obviously we, we have a, like a quarterly newsletter that goes out. And within there, we uh, have our offerings. And um, she then collates, um, you know, um, it's, it's not always the best to speak the to the converted, but, uh, you know, to keep them interested. And for interesting, we've, we've tried to, um, just one thing that was quite successful, we tried to um, target our society members who have always bought um, the non-vintage and very little of the vintage. And we sent them all a two-pack of a vintage Chardonnay and a vintage Rosé and we invited them to a tasting now and uh, we've got them to buy into our vintage collection. So again, uh, it's not even, it's more important that they can also taste the product, you know, and during lockdown, you know, when we move wines and, uh, you know, we had roadblocks, checking cars and things like that, it was quite difficult, but, um, you know, we're managing that way. Yeah, it's difficult to smuggle out of Robertson, right? It's easy to stop <laughs> to stop the trucks. No, well, we we also we also respect. You know, we are uh, we are of a size that we cannot afford to. You uh, know, uh, of course, no, I'm just joking. Mis misuse it. No, of course, I understand. Well, it's actually easier. The roads are much quieter. You know. Oh, I see. <laughs> so, um, just bring your Fenta trailer next time. There you go. I think on the first of September, right? I, I, I mean, you can put your, you can actually put all the magnums in your in your fainted trailer if you go, if you go down. <laughs> to I like your thinking. I like your thinking. Peter, um, your journey—thirty years of vintages, um, a long career. Um, what is the most important thing you've learned? Uh, that I'm back at nursery school. Uh, I. <laughs> <laughs> I really believe that, uh, uh, you know, in the last five years, we've, you know, been sort of really eat, sleep and drinking only cup to seek. Mm -hmm. It's really shown us the sort of cracks. It's not a negative thing, but, uh, you know, we could look into our quality parameters and, you know, it's amazing the amount of attention to detail that we've been adding over the years. So, uh you know, I, I keep reminding uh, the younger Cap Classique producers that it remains a journey. Uh, our mantra at Grainbeck is we in search of the perfect bubble. And, uh, you know, you would think after 30 years we have it, but uh, the cigar is there, but we haven't smoked it yet. I've read somewhere there's 49 million bubbles in a bottle of, of, of MCC. Is this true? Uh, pretty much that has been uh, calculated uh, scientifically, so uh, <laughs> it's not far off. And if you consider that you could get six glasses out of a standard bottle, yeah, you will have at least uh, seven odd million bubbles in a glass. So uh, they, they do it by high-speed photography. Um, we've actually met uh, the... the um, the professor at the Rance University who does these studies, and it's fascinating. We keep learning, uh, you know, every, every time there's something new we can add to uh, our story.
Well, I think that's that's the secret of marketing. Um, something like MCC is creating the stories, and you've guys have certainly done that. Just want to ask you something about your focus, because um, uh, uh, do you have you found you with mentioning the, the you know the percentages of Graham Beck in the South African market and also of exports, and it's obviously you're by far the, the the market leader in in MCC in South Africa. Um, but have you found that the focus on MCC has actually made a major difference in your success? Well, I think um, it's maybe quite a complex question, but I think I think over time, I think over time, uh, um, with you know, uh, about. 15 odd years ago, we saw a rush and a flood of wine bars opening and they started to pour some bubbles, uh, you know, by the glass. I think we immediately got exposure into uh, the consumer's mind that, you know, bubbly wasn't there always just for a celebration or a wedding. Um, that, you know, it, it became more of a lifestyle drink and since that was like that the the category has really grown it still remains the most exciting category in the wine industry today you have white and red wines which um, most probably grows either up or down by two or three percent a year but Kaptasik uh, is enjoying double figure growth uh, year on year well excellent so let's see if we can we can make that even more. Um, so, yeah, Peter, um, I ask everybody this question to give me their favorite wine quote. But of course, you can't give a wine. You've got to give an MCC quote. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I mean, there's so many classic ones, you know. Um, but most probably the one that I use and uh, as long as you don't steal I, from I, Marilyn Monroe, you're you're fine. No, 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 no. I'd rather share or share the bath with her. You know, apparently she bathed in the champagne. You know, right. but uh, that said, aside, no, I, I'm not really stealing. I just have a huge admir admiration for Sir Winston Churchill, mm -hmm. and it sort of still remains my go-to quote. You know, um, he had a love affair with Paul Roger, um, the Champagne House. Mm -hmm. And um, they, the Paul Roger, as a champagne house, always made sure that he got the most matured bottles of champagne because that was his taste. And um, you know, and a lot of people uh, back at Parliament and things like that often asked him, you know, Sir Winston, uh, you know, what is your best bottle of champagne you have? And meaning that they're going to, you know, hear about all the old vintages and stuff. He says, no, it's surely a magnum, but make sure your partner does not drink. <laughs> I love it. That is fantastic. So anyway, I love that way, you know, so uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a great saying. Um, uh, and you can relate to it quite, quite easily. Peter, I have to say thank you very, very much for spending the time with us. Um, just one last question. If people want to get hold of you guys, how do they do that? Uh, we have a fairly comprehensive website. Uh, it's quite easy to navigate. Uh, it's uh, Um 
but uh, they will find us on uh, social media platforms. We on Twitter, um, we on uh, Facebook, and obviously Instagram. And you just have to type in Graham Beck Bubbly, and uh, you will find uh, the links to that. Uh, alternatively, really, if there's any sort of questions or they want to arrange like a VIP visit, uh, my email is peter, P-I-E-T-E-R, at grahambeck.com. Peter, it's been very, very fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much for spending the time. And um, yeah, good luck with everything. Good luck with the 1st of September, a classic day. And um, we'll uh, definitely see that uh, we can promote you guys as much as possible. But um, thanks for spending the time. I really, I really, uh, yeah, it, it's really wonderful that, uh, you know, you also uh, giving uh, us uh, some space for the 1st of September, and we thank you for that. And uh, hopefully we can meet up soon once COVID is uh, gone. We definitely will. Thanks, Peter. Ciao, ciao. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for supporting our show. If you would like to get more exposure for your business, please have a look at our sponsorship options. Thanks again for supporting About the Winelands. Please follow us on YouTube and on our social media channels. All details and links are in the description.